What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code ADVICES. I mean, THINK. You can use our code THINK. That's our new code uh, for some awesome additional savings and great like supplements. Um, I also wanted to spe give a special shout out to our Patreon folks. We've got a couple questions from Patreon today. Today, we are, we're trying out some new technology. We've got Instagram Live here as well as we have our traditional recording and our Facebook Live. Uh, this will all be going to uh, Think Big Bodybuilding Media when we're finished for podcast app, for audio, as well as Think Big on YouTube. Scott, what's up, man? Happy 4th of July to you. Likewise, yes. This is a big day. Um, we're filming a little earlier because I have a friend, Nick Wary, who is, I think he's currently ranked, this is about to change, I hope, number sixth competitive eater in the world is hmm. uh his beloved miki is the number one ranked female competitive eater in the world she's actually a little bit better than him on the wow. on the rankings and he's doing the nathan's hot dog eating competition in like an hour and a half no kidding on um yeah yeah he's he did a practice run i don't know if he's gonna put that out there he actually had a german tv company in town um last week earlier this week they're filming everything and uh, he does fortitude training um and we were just kind of telling me about it and i was like i was like hey this might be kind of a cool little twist to put checking the noise mm -hmm. yeah go ahead yeah hopefully we're good? Is, oh, yeah. hopefully we're good i do hear sound hopefully it's not going into my mic and creating a weird yeah uh, if so you'll have a special anyway. vibrato on this episode but... <laughs> uh and so nick is uh it was getting filmed by this company. And I'm like, you know, this might be a cool little twist. I felt like I was sort of imposing on his story, but since he's been doing fortitude training, I, he trains over at Derek Oslin's weapon X's gym. Nice. That's where we first met. And he and Derek first met like five years ago. They competed in a show Northeast when Derek was still an amateur. So Nick's here in town now as is Derek, obviously. And um, Nick's doing fortitude training. I'm like, you know, how cool would it be just to have a little snippet in there of the actual inventor of the fortitude training system, explaining the system in the Germanic language. Um, so how are we doing sound wise? We won't know until we're done, okay. but there's some stuff, right. weird stuff right. is happening, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I distracted by it. Yeah. Um, I was trying to listen. Have... Uh, there's no sense in being concerned. I say we just push forward. We enjoy life and worst case okay. scenario uh, this Q&A that we are doing today will uh, just be for the people that are watching it live on Instagram. Best case scenario will be spread throughout all our platforms when we're done. Um, but yeah, let's just uh, let's dive into it, man. And and like all I right, said, whatever cool. happens, happens. Do you have anybody who's uh, who's putting up questions for us over there on your uh, your feed? It looks like I see a, a bunch of people commenting. Hey, everybody here on Instagram. Appreciate all you guys chiming in. Yeah. Joining us. And so Blunt Force Tanya yes. says, um, man, I had blood work done a few days ago. My blood glucose came out only 48, only a couple hours after eating. Wow. And I wake up under 70. Never feel hypo either. Tomorrow's my birthday. Do I get a birthday? Hell yeah. Happy birthday, Tanya. You're like you're forever birthday. 23. What's the magic number? You know, I don't know. But, um. Happy birthday, whichever way. I'm glad you're here. Glad you were born. And now you're manifesting before us at whatever beautiful age you you have currently. 
Um, 48 is like, that's hypoglycemic. Yeah. Are you doing a ketogenic diet? Um, like under 70 is pretty friggin' low too. A lot of people don't feel so hot then, but if that's, if you're keto, that would make sense. Um, there's, I mean, there's obviously a little, blood, blood glucose is such an easy one. You don't expect that to be totally off. You know, you don't expect so much variability in that test. It's not yeah. like they just started testing for blood glucose recently and the testing hasn't been, um, perfected, but, um, that's low. It would be interesting if you get up, get in the morning and see what your ketone levels are. You could do some urinary ketones hmm. and see where they are. So I don't know if that was a kind of a question, but it, like, there's definitely a built-in question mark in that statement yeah. because 48 is low as shit. You what's, know? Well, yeah, because my, mine's always been much higher than that. What's what's the upper range limit on that? Is it supposed to be under 100? 100? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know Ideally, I've been I think once, 90, you know, somewhere in there I think I've been. Yeah. Yeah, this brings up an important topic that, that I've helped a few people with more recently. So – just like as a pre-screening for diabetes, they're looking at resting, you know, fasted blood blood glucose. And actually, Tiny said she had she, she was a forty-eight a couple of hours after she after she'd eaten. Yeah, um, so she wasn't even fasted, but she may not be eating any carbs. Mm. That would be really interesting, and unless unless she had a reactive hypoglycemia. So a couple topics come up here. One, um, fasting glucose is and again no medical advice here this is just information just an fyi um, is used sort of as pre-screening for diabetes so um, if you're above 100 that's sort of considered a pre-diabetic state you want to watch after that and if they really want to test you if like you know you're 180 you know or you're like in the 200s or 300s and it's okay you, you've got an issue they would do um, an oral glucose tolerance test yeah. would be sort of a typical way to do it so you go in and you jug a nasty 50 or 100 gram um, uh, carbohydrate drink, and then they follow your insulin and your glucose, and can determine from that whether you whether you meet the guidelines for not being diagnosed as as being diabetic. Now, the thing is with bodybuilders, a lot of times, um, and I'm waiting to hear back actually from one guy. Hopefully, he'll get back to me soon. He was um, I won't say who this was, but high level guy, very high level guy, and. Uh, this was just like, I don't know, maybe a month ago, I guess. And he was back doing all the things. He'd taken some time off of training. He was back doing all the things that he should have to be making progress. And he wasn't making progress. Hmm. And um, he wasn't quite sure what was going on. He was not old enough to think, you know, so my body just took a quantum leap towards the, you know, towards the death hole. <laughs> like, he wasn't, he was, he was too old or what have you. And um, so we started digging in and his... Um, blood glucose was uh, just a little bit elevated, but when we uh, he went and did an insulin measurement, and that's this homeostatic um, uh, model of insulin assessment, HOMA, okay. that's used. And this is what you used for to measure or estimate or evaluate um, insulin sensitivity in the research studies. So it's literally just blood glucose times. Uh, resting fasted blood glucose times resting fasted insulin levels. You just multiply those two things. So if either of those is high, that makes that that fa that factor multiply. And if insulin's high at normal normal glucose, that tells you that you're you're using more insulin to maintain that glucose level. Yeah. So the fact that you have high insulin means you're insensitive 
to insulin's effects. So what you can see sometimes with um, this sort of a paradoxical, and we talked about this on the blood, sweat, and gear a little bit. We tapped into this idea with glucose and insulin and growth hormone, um, and insulin in particular growth hormone having antagonistic effects. So you can have someone who's dieted down for a show, who's been using growth hormone for you know, prolonged period for months now at maybe even high levels and have a blood glucose level that's, you know, 103, 110, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, but have insulin levels that are really, really low because their body fat levels are low. So, um, if you see that high glucose level, you think, oh man, you know, I think I'm, pro I'm having some problems here. I'm, my, my insulin sensitivity is gone, which you wouldn't, ex wouldn't expect at all. Excuse me. When you're not, when you're dieted down, you're not in, you know, full season, full off season bloat mode, but the insulin levels being really low tells you what's going on. So the, this is what's kind of interesting about growth hormone is it's, it's somehow regulating you at a higher glucose level, even yeah. though your insulin sensitivity is low. And that's just because you're literally dieted down. Um, in this case, you know, you're pretty lean. So you, if you want to really want to know your insulin sensitivity, you need to know those two things. You could have normal blood glucose levels. And this is where there's some variability in, involved here and have high insulin. So your body's having to produce a lot of insulin to keep glucose in a normal range. That tells you that that insulin isn't doing a very good job um, or it's, you're not sensitive to that insulin. So your body has to make more of it, secrete more of it. Insulin levels are higher. So that's an interesting thing for Tanya to experience. She's sort of at the other end. Um, yeah. She's got really low blood glucose, and my guess is, you know, is that's um, – and she's able – she's just fine. So she's probably running on ketones. Hmm. See if she said anything. Um, I, this is nice. It actually stopped scrolling. Yeah, I'd be She's turning too. 30. Ooh. Oh, my God. She's yeah. way – she looks way too young to be turning 30. I would have guessed because <laughs> you and I both know her. She posts a lot of her training stuff. Uh, I'm not trying to just be nice. I assumed she was like 23 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So she's 30. Shh, don't, we won't tell anybody. So it's our now. secret. So old. <laughs> so yeah, her blood glucose just runs that way. So that's the thing. There's these ranges, you know, those ranges capture most people, yeah. but hers just runs that way. So there's always outliers, huh. you know, um, that's just the nature of the bell curve. Yeah. And there's, it's not like, there's not necessarily anything wrong with it. She doesn't feel bad. She's cutting though. Oh, so it's okay. kind of low. Yeah. And, and two, something that can happen. And I've gone hypo when I was dieting down before yeah. literally all the signs of hypo, no insulin involved. Um, because I was really, really insulin sensitive. And I think what had happened is I, as I, and this can happen when people use, if they're, if they're really, really insulin sensitive and they use a bunch of carbohydrate, take it in and then go and train. Yeah. The training itself will increase their insulin sensitivity so much that it drives their blood glucose down and then be, they get a reactive hypoglycemia. I basically. get that. Yeah, I'm very sensitive yeah. to that. Right. And what, what she has is I think, but it's a textbook definition hmm. of what will be considered because the 48 is, is technically hypoglycemic for her physiology. It's not bothersome, but, um, so she ate that meal and she got a little bit of insulin release, but she's really, really insulin sensitive. I might be interesting to see what her insulin levels are, but they're pretty low too. Mm -hmm. And so she, her, her glucose went up. She had a big carb meal, she said, and she's so insulin sensitivity sensitive that 
um, that she actually had the reactive hypoglycemia and her, her glucose levels went way down because yeah. her insulin was so effective due to her insulin sensitivity to bring those carbs into the cells. So this is the, there's so many topics related to this. So like one of the things that the people use, and I think, you know, um, it can serve a purpose if you sort of figure out how what you're measuring can be manipulated in, uh, in the context that it's used. Um, and that context that I'm talking about is people using a glucose monitor when they're trying to carb up in the, you know, few days before a show. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're trying to, um, you know, when the glucose starts to rise, they, that is telling them that they're now, um, full in terms of muscle glycogen stores. Yeah. But here's the thing. When you're that lean, everything's insulin sensitive. Your fat, your fat cells are really, really insulin sensitive too. So they can take up glucose as well. Um, so mm-hmm. you could be, um, have low glucose levels because your fat cells are just doing a really nice job of taking that up. You could be full. So you're, you're really not getting a specific measurement of what's happening in the muscle cells mm-hmm. looking at blood glucose. Because normally, I mean, muscle is a great depot for immediate glucose disposal. So there's definitely something to say for that methodology. But the twist in it can be is unless you've done, and I'll harken back to what I always say with with regards to peak week, a trial run where you've basically validated that glucose measurement against what you're seeing in the mirror, um, what you're seeing in terms of scale weight, along the course of the carbohydrate loading process. So if you see, for instance, that um, you measure glucose levels and, you know, an hour and a half after each of your meals, it comes back down to, you know, below 90. And that happens for the first day, like a midweek carb up. And then once you get to about the 1200, 1300 gram carb mark, let's say, as an example, you find that your glucose, blood glucose level doesn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You haven't gained a bunch of fat in that time. You've been loading lots of carbs in, so that's going to impact your acute insulin sensitivity. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's just a comment. I it. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, so if that then corresponds with you spilling over, which indicates that your, glu- your glycogen levels are full, and now you're getting basically, a, this is my understanding, my best guess as to what that phenomenon is, is the glucose coming in doesn't have that depot to store it in the muscle anymore. So yeah. you have glucose in the blood, glucose going across the interstitial space to get into the muscle cells, and then it get, can't get in the door into the muscle cells, so it gets trapped outside the muscle cells yeah. in that space outside of the vasculature, but also outside of the muscle that's that interstitial space, and that's where you see it in the skin in the spilling over phenomenon. So if that corresponds, let's say, with a rise in blood glucose, that tells you something. That's a validation measurement. Do that in science all the time. You know, if you want to use like, um, you know, like a, one of those, you know, laser pointers, you can use like measure distance and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, like how good is that at measuring distance across? Well, you validate with an actual tape measure. You know that you know that you presume is your dead-on measurement. So if you're if you validate you know the blood glucose measurement in a given individual, and find that you know every time blood glucose reaches this level, that corresponds with your look deteriorating because you spill over. That's nice. Then you know that for that one individual. 
but you're going to have people like Tanya who, who may be always like, if you use 85 or 90 as the blood glucose cutoff, like, okay, now we're in, you know, that now we're full. Well, she may never ever get there because she regulates so low. You give her, you know, 9,000 grams of carbs, you know, and she's way spilled over and everything else. And if you're blindly looking at the blood glucose measurement as your guide, because, hey, it's more sciencey, right? You know, you're doing blood work and you got a little little meter. It's like, ooh, that's technology. It has, it has to be right because the more technologically advanced it is, the better it is, right? Well, not always the case. So the, the rule of individuality, I think, applies here as much as anything. Yeah. Is so, that common? Is that like, I mean, have you seen a lot of people that have a, that, that sit the way Tanya sits with their, their no, blood sugar? No, way outside the norm. Yeah, I've never really, that's not something I'm familiar with. I'm used to seeing people go the other way, you know, where they end up like yeah. too high, but, but super low like that. That's, that's interesting. She tends to be yeah. really, really lean too. Like she is a, 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 a I think you'd probably call Shitty. her more like an ectomorph, you know, by nature. Yeah. I could be wrong about that, but she just seems to be. Like her struggle isn't to get in shape. Her struggle would be to continue putting mass on. She's, you know, more like yeah. more like myself, someone that probably I'm going to guess doesn't get super, super fat without, you know, putting in some effort into it. Crude and Greek. I'm reading here because I'm way behind on the comments. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's what happens when you take 20 minutes to answer one of 30 questions that you, that you I know. <laughs> so there was one up above there that I kind of missed. It was like, right when we were going sorry that we're off screen here guys scott's uh mm -hmm. scott's doing we got a lot of technology going on in okay. all sorts of directions so one, someone's asking about he can't give his attention um, to us all the time that's okay so uh jay orden x2 so although 19 orders are very suppressive and bad for fertility if you were wanting to run a cycle using a very low dose of nandrolone or trend Realistically, how much would this impact fertility long term? So that's another one of those things. You know, there are some um, women and guys who just have the most robust reproductive systems when it comes to gear. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was kind of loud there. Uh, and that's crazy. Yeah, I, there was um, there was a, a female friend of mine who um, competed assisted. I gotta, and, I gotta get but, off of this, Scott. I can't do it. It's too much noise. I'm gonna just okay x out of that. All right, all right, all right. Scott's gone. I'll just read them. You're frozen. You don't anyway, even need me here. You could just do this yourself. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Go play with Betsy. Take her on a walk. I'll be done in a while. You can press stop on. Your I do own. have a couple you know, questions uh, later. Okay. Well, let me let me cover this one. Yeah, and then yeah. We can get into those. Yeah. So. It's just fascinating. Like these are just anecdotes, but these sort of tell you. So this friend of mine competed on the national level, you know, very, very close to a pro card. Um, probably would have one. Oh, definitely would have one nowadays. She would definitely have, you know, gotten one at Masters Nationals in bodybuilding. And she never lost her cycle straight up to a show. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't that you know, she was dieted down. She got shredded, which in of itself, you know, the, the imbalance in, in calories tends to do that. Um, and Luke's work kind of shows the, the, the you lose the gonadotrophin pulsatility that is a normal part of the female menstrual cycle when there's an imbalance of caloric expenditure to intake. Um, so L-O-U-C-K-S, I think is how you spell her last name if you want to look her up. But she was dieted down and on, on stuff hmm. and still 
all the way through. She'd like every once in a while, she'd, she, I remember she asked me this, this is a long time ago. She's like, so what happens? You know, sometimes like I get, you know, the, the devil comes back like the week of my show and I'm holding water and I'm like, like what? She's like, yeah, she'll have her period like, you know, two days before the show, you know, or like she'll start to get premenstrual right before the show. No, that's odd. So she would say everything. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't just like a, a shadow of a, of a menstrual cycle. Sometimes women will, they won't actually have a menses, but you can tell that there's sort of a, um, a suppressed menstrual ovarian cycle at work. So, yeah. cause things are changing. They see it, water retention, sex drive, that kind of stuff. And then there are guys that, you know, can go for years and like, and they just, they, they're on and they off and they like, they hardly have any suppression. They bounce right back. You know, three or four weeks later, you know, assuming they have been using like, like DECA actually would be a bad choice because it's got such a long half-life yeah. in terms of restoration, but they're not doing any PCT and they kind of, so they just come back Yeah, and they, they're fine. And then there's, you know, other guys who, um, you know, one cycle sort of screws the pooch, pardon the pun. And they, they lose, you know, the fertility is just kind of like it's in the shitter and it doesn't, doesn't come back no matter what they do. You know, and sometimes we'll even try like, you know, um, aromatase inhibitors or CIRMs like a Clomid, you know, basically kind of a PCT type of thing. And they may have to run it through several times before they finally come back. Yeah. So, yeah, the thing you, you might look into, um, I'm not sure what his first name is. I'm not going to try to check right now because I'm sure I'll drop the ball with the technology. But taurine is something that has been shown to uh, minimize, at least in animals, minimize the testicular um, toxicity that comes with androgens. Really? And yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. So yeah, taurine's pretty cool, man. It's a pretty, um, pretty impressive, uh, it's not really an essential amino acid, but you know, there's a, a, a nice article. I think I cited in, where's my book in this, this little gem. What book is that? This little gem here. Oh, what's that? People may have, it's this book. I found it on Amazon. Yeah. I don't know, like like a few years, a couple of years ago, and it's an actual hardcover too. It looks like I really just got it because the hot dude on the front, like <laughs> sexy right there. I'm like, I just want to have that picture hanging around because you know it just keeps me happy. Oh wait, but, are you um, talking about this book? Yeah, that's how you have the same book. No I shit. just I just bought it because of the guy on the front. I was I, like, that's I know. an attractive, handsome man. I mean, that was a thirst trap before thirst yeah. traps were a thing. <laughs> that's what i've seen when i read through the comments on amazon it's like it's like why thirst trap hot dude on the front that's why you're kidding me that's like that's like i would print that and frame it (laughs) oh shit so um anyway i have referenced in that book that mysterious book with the thirst trap on the front um the uh a paper that kind of goes into the, the, the multitude of functions of taurine in the cell. Um, and people know it for, for balancing, um, in contractile cells in the neurons and probably in skeletal muscle too, but you know, it's an antioxidant, which is what it's doing in the testes in this case with, with androgens. And, uh, it's also, uh, helps really like you always want to have that on hand if you're doing any water manipulation for a pre-contest protocol, cause it helps so well with cramping really amazingly well so yeah taurine is pretty cool so um yeah that's the thing you just won't know like neither neither of those are particular there's actually a a point to this there's an article on um in muscular development magazine that i was kind of a co-author the um 
Rick Collins, who you guys you just had on the Think Big, um, he basically spearheaded this article, and he asked, I'll forget somebody, but Guillermo Escalante and Victor Black were the two people who kind of come to mind. Um, Victor Prisk was on there. There are two other names. Um, uh, Dr. Serrano was on, and one other person whose name is slipping me, but they were all, we were all asked several questions related to Nandrolone as a, um, in the context of TRT. Mm-hmm. Referred to me as thirst trap, right on. <laughs> um, so um, that's a good article that will probably open people's eyes as to how toxic Nandrolone can actually be. Hmm. Um, I actually, you know, I'd known some of those things, but hadn't looked as deeply into it as, um, as I did to give my responses. I think I had like, you know, 40 plus references that I tossed in there for people just to have as a resource. And um, yeah, Nandrolone has the same kinds of toxicity effects. Um, in this case, in the heart was kind of the concern hmm. was the focus of that, of the questions that we responded to in that article. So Dave um, Crossland has talked about that too. He's looked at some of the research on that and he's, yeah, he says uh, in the brain as well. And he says yep. that's why he is the way he is today. He blames it on uh, right. on Decker. It's on the trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Decker or the tra- trend. Trend. Yeah, trend's been you know known to think increase beta amyloid plaque and some other indicators that that are um, involved with uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, it's hard to know. You know, like there's even some cross-sectional data looking at you know what you would consider their cognitive dis- dif- differences between. Gear long-term gear using bodybuilders and the control groups hmm. who they matched on as many parameters as they could. Now that's not to say you can't rule out obviously pre-existing differences. You, you kind of maybe have to be a little bit uh, of a berserker to want to go into, you know, high levels of gear for years. Yeah. Um, so it may be the cognitive function was a little impaired in the first place. Hmm. So you can't really, you don't really have, it's not a random sample. They didn't take, you know, some people and say, okay, you get gear for five years and we're going to, you know, um, look at your cognitive abilities five years later compared to the control group who, who lived a more uh, wholesome life. Yeah. But um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's things going on there. You know, the thing that I think, you know, is just sort of a thought we're going off on a tangent here, but um, there's just a basic principle of neuroplasticity um, that is involved with habit making that the Joe Dispenza is kind of the uh, spiritual guru kind of guy who was, was quoted as he's actually says this in the movie, what the bleep do we know is that the neurons that fire together, wire together. Hmm. And so that means, you know, if you keep on having a certain kind of set of thoughts, um, then your nervous system is is adapting to that. Like you, literally, you're practicing that. That's how you know those that firing that goes into learning a motor program, like any type of new skill, learning how to juggle, learning a new language, like any type of learning that happens yeah. is something that you know ends up eventually causing a restructuring of the brain. So we have dendritic formations between neurons that solidify that neurological pattern from a physical standpoint in the brain. Hmm. So aside from all these sort of detrimental effects on the neurons themselves, you know, like the beta amyloid plaques and those sorts of things. Um, you're also, if you're someone who is spending a lot of time in a place where your psychology is changed by androgens, especially if you're someone who's particularly amenable to that. So, you know, you like anadol just completely, you know, transforms you in the world's biggest asshole, let's say, 
but you also also makes you strong and big as hell. So you use a lot of anadrol. Yeah. You spend two thirds, three quarters of a year in that state. Yeah. That means the neurons in your brain that are involved with, you know, how your personality manifests huh. are you're getting tons of practice, yeah. you're literally practicing being an asshole and you remove huh. the pharmacological effect. And of course that, you know, has, has an impact, but over huh. the course of decades, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you've talked before openly about, you know, the past years of when, you know, when you were you know, of drug addiction and, yeah. you know, kind of being in that hole. And it's not as if I would imagine, you know, if you've been in a bad place for years of using drugs, you know, and really sort of being in that pattern, you all of a sudden you break that habit and all of a sudden, woof, your brain's just as, you know, fresh as daisies. No, that's, that's know? the issue that I think a lot of people run into. They remove the drugs and they think that they're fine, but it was the lifetime of having, uh, basically, um, you know, fostered the, 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 the mindset that led you to use the drugs to begin with. You know what I mean? And, right. and then you just continue to reinforce that while you're using them, getting further and further yeah. into basically, you know, a really bad mental state that keeps you using them. So you remove the drugs and that, that your ability is to say, for instance, cope with reality isn't changed. Mm -hmm. That doesn't fix that right. just because you stopped using the drugs. So mm -hmm. I, I could, I never thought about it, but I can totally see that. And I'm kind of, I'm trying to look for the positive of that as well. Maybe not like being an asshole, but the the positive aggression that you do get uh, from using anabolics that can be a, a good thing in the gym. You know, the the the, the, sure. the attitude that we use to do things like, you know, the, the really intense rest pause or widow maker sets. Um, mm -hmm. I, and I was wondering to myself, like, uh, is that helping with programming our brains to be able to continue you know, it's almost like it's almost like giving you some insight into how far you really can push. Uh, sure. You know, I don't know. Just it, you got it, me thinking. No, it's it's exactly what I'm. You're saying the same thing I am. You know, is that you're you're getting practice for yeah. years and years doing something, and you're able to do that because of the pharmacological assistance. So you, these things are inextricable. You can't like you know, in case of drug use you know, remove, you know, the down regulation or loss of sensitivity to the neurotransmitters and the receptors that those drugs bind to. So you've got, you know, the neurological changes brought on simply from the, the pharmacodynamics, what the drugs are doing to the body. Yeah. Um, but there's, if you, if you just imagine the scenario where, where someone just, because they're an experiment, let's say, and their experiment is to, um, you know, live, uh, you know, in a very impoverished area and not take care of themselves and, you know, you know, eat poorly and stay up late, stay up for multiple days and just, you know, just have um, unprotected sex and you know, all sorts of crazy shit that people would do when they're under the influence of a drug, recreational drug, and compare that with someone who, you know, goes and on a meditation retreat you know, um, every, you know, for, for weeks and literally dives into their spirituality and learns to develop, you know, um, a, a, an ability to, um, see themselves from a third person perspective and be very, very mindful. And they do that for five years. So the one person is just, you know, living a totally different lifestyle and the other person, their twin is, you know, really focusing on, on cultivating a very different way of being just those two disparate ways of living life are going to are going to cultivate in that those individuals personalities a different way of being yeah so 
in one case, the drugs are sort of getting you to go one direction, you know, or and the and the androgens that too. So like if you if you're like this was uh, came up on um, on Fuad's podcast actually. Just I was just listening to it the other day, and uh, um, they were talking about how literally you know bodybuilding kind of keeps you in a cave and keeps you separate because it's so all encompassing. It can be it keeps you separate from all the other life experiences that you might might be partaking of. So the things you're not doing because you're bodybuilding are the things that you're not potentially growing from and hmm. developing from um, because bodybuilding has you just, you know, eating your meals and, you know, missing out on, on going out with friends and, you know, going to cultural events, going to museums, taking trips because you have to be at home, you know, with your chicken and rice and in the gym banging away. Not that there's not redeeming value there, but, you're li- you do bodybuilding for 20 years versus you do something totally different for 20 years. And you compare, you know, those individuals after those, that 20 year period, drugs aside. Yeah. Then you've got you've lived entirely different lives. Yeah. You really have. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, just I would challenge it. I mean that you, I don't think you have to do that. Like you can still pack your food and go to a museum. So I would challenge. Oh, but I, I do right. think though that, you know what? So many of us, including myself, we at least go through a long phase of not figuring that out and hunkering down yeah. and just like quote unquote living the lifestyle, you know? Right. Yeah. Especially I mean, they were talking about a being a pro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of an aside, but you know, actually tie it back to the fertility issue. And I think, you know, the thing that, that probably is, is part of this certainly um, when it comes to like nandrolone and, you know, androgens having toxicity on the testes is it's not like neurons firing together, but literally you're just, de- you're destroying that, the gonads to some degree, you're impairing mm. their ability. So the tissue is being, is receiving an insult because the, of the androgen toxicity. And, you know, you do that on and off for several years, you don't have any PCT to check that you're, that you're coming back. You never try to come back. Well, then, there's the fact that you, because of the suppression and the lack of gonadotrophins, you're not producing testosterone. So if you don't use it, you lose it is coming into play. And on top of that, you've got the toxicity issue, whereby the antigens are not only pre- preventing, it's sort of like, imagine you cast your arm, you know, and it's going to shrink from the disuse atrophy. Yeah. And then you you take in some supplement that actually is is um, toxic to, to the muscle cells. Hmm. So... That's a double. That's kind of the double whammy that's happening with androgens hmm. um, or, or uh, steroids that are that are cytotoxic to um, to the, the cells of the testi- testicles. So that's kind of the issue. But it's so variable, you know. It's just like some people can come back and some people can't. So um, it's hard to know, you know. That's the quest. The question is: is how much are you missing out? Like, is like is trend the answer? Yeah. You know, is it really, is it really like, um, you know, for someone who's making a lot of money and, you know, being, you know, number 20 in the world and not making it to Olympia or, you know, getting the Olympia and getting that sponsorship where the, we're adding trend actually makes a difference. Hmm. Or are you talking about someone who's mid-level and it's like, you know, are they going to get second place versus fourth place, Yeah, you know, at their state show, what have you. So, um, that's why I'm, oh, I have a follow-up too. Yeah. Um, relatedly. So remember the um 
Actually, he competed today. I don't know what the price is, but remember Will, um, who we did the podcast a year and a half, two years ago with? With the fertility the power- guy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he um, I don't... I don't like to, I try to keep things confidential with my client, but he wouldn't care. I know he wouldn't about any of this stuff. So he competed today. People who follow him or know who he is, he, um, he competed. I don't know what his placing was. Um, cause it was, you know, I've looked on Instagram and he just showed his picture on the, on, he didn't win. I know that much, Okay. but, um, anyway, he, uh, so his PCT worked, obviously he's his, his baby daughter, joy has been around, um, posts about her all the time. So that's really kind of cool, you know? And I got a message about two weeks ago. Yeah. So over a year ago, someone had messaged me and asked about that podcast and fertility issues related to um, what well, I just say infertility. I'm not going to give any of the details, but yeah. I put in the direction of the podcast and I heard back a couple of weeks ago from the person and they'd listen to the podcast and gather some other information as well, yeah. put together a PCT program. And now they have a baby boy. Congratulations. That's freaking awesome. I was awesome. like, Congrats. I was like, yes. And I was, I was like, literally I was like tears were coming down my eyes because uh, that's just, I mean, that's just such a cool thing to see happen. Like that's it what it's all just one person. One person was brought in this world in part in some small part, obviously he did all the work and yeah. he dug in a lot of things. And the thing was interesting too, like a lesson for me is that as happens very often, I responded to him and I didn't get a message back. Um, from him, at least uh, it wasn't show. It didn't show up in my. I remembered having responded. I didn't remember seeing a response, but I, I had the first message he sent. My message, my my uh, email app threads the messages, so I saw the first two messages, and then his most recent one. And there was no response from him after I sent him that information. No, like, hey, thank you for that. I appreciate. It. I'll let you know. He just went to work. So he he just went to work. Yeah, and it's it's nice because I. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm sending messages in a bottle, you know, like, yeah. here's like this, you know, thousand word essay I wrote for you. And I get a uh, great thanks. And I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what it happened like three times in the last couple of days. Um, so I wasn't sure, but that message in the bottle was received and That's made cool. good use of. Yeah. That's really so, cool. Yeah. People for that, for that particular question, the power um, program for wellness restoration is what this sort of stands for. It's P O W E R with the P W and R all in caps yeah. program for wellness restoration, PCT, Michael Scally, I think is who is, is who came up with that. And that you can find that there's a revised version, like version two. You can find that on the internet. It's also in that, it's in that book with the hot stud on the cover too. So, you know, <laughs> those things are available, you know, multiple places. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. We got so a couple of questions. Two questions. We got a couple. Yeah. <laughs> we are now far in, are we? We are a ways in. I don't know, about an hour in, yeah. yeah. We've got a couple over here that came up on the live feed. One of them was about training, and then I know I had uh, another one over here from Patreon. I kind of want to tackle this training thing, though, just because I like okay. talking training with you especially. Scott, I love <laughs> talking training with you. I could literally I know. talk training with you for an hour every day and it would just that would it would be different or maybe we'd just say the same shit every time but i don't care i'd still enjoy it you know okay okay yeah, like, like two old guys playing chess resembling yeah. about the old days like they say the shim, <laughs> same shit and this is exciting every time exactly so this is from west Wes. he says last podcast on volume and intensity was great uh there was discussion on experimenting to see what works best for you what would be a structured approach for testing to see which produces the most growth? Basically, 
he's asking how can he figure out what works best for him and he also mentions that he just purchased fortitude so he's going to be a fortitude trainee it sounds like sweet so i can address it through the fortitude training lens i guess okay um try to get the most from the least Mm. is the way i see it so and this question was just asked um on uh on professional muscle actually there's a thread over there on fortitude training um I always suggest people start off with, with volume tier one. So fortitude training has three volume tiers. First is the lowest volume. Two is the second highest and three is pretty dang high volume. Three is what women more than likely be able to handle. They can handle more volume than guys. Um, some people are just freaks of nature and they can handle a lot, but most people settle around two. Um, kind of figured out that worked from the beta testing did way back when, before I put the book out. But one is fine for some. And I've told the story before about, about two, two people um, that were in that beta testing group. And one, one can train with three because he's just got the genetics for great recovery, just very hardy. Um, but he doesn't have great genetics for, being, for bodybuilding. He can just handle that amount of training. And the other person was a, 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 a WWF and WWE wrestler. No kidding. Who had um, – yeah, who had um, – I don't think I ever mentioned that part before. He was – People are going to know who he is now, but he's, I'm not going to say the other part. So I have to, I'll have to tease together the two attributes that I mentioned. Fair enough. And very, very close to a pro card. And he could only use volume tier one because he trained so hard, he trained like an absolute animal, yeah. just buried himself every, with all the sets. So starting with the least amount and then applying those like that, get the most from the least. And then if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So the thing that is like so lost, I think nowadays with the, you know, volume is the driver of muscle growth and that kind of thing, which, you know, the evidence sort of points to is, is what um, had happened with, and those pictures I think are gone now because they just got moved away from the server on intense muscle Mm. with DC training back in the day where guys were just like literally going into the gym and they were just saying no to the idea of not growing yeah. by going to the gym in every friggin' set that they would do, the rest pause sets, the straight sets, the widow makers, they bury themselves and progress, like micro load every single time. And you go from a 315 squat for 10 to a 405 squat for 10 in a year and a half, you're going to see it on your legs. Yeah, you will. It's just going to happen, you know? There's really like everyone's going to be very, there's going to be some variability in the relative growth that you get from those performance increases, but there's just no way around it. And I think what people miss, and, and I've been guilty of this as guilty as basically anyone I know. Cause I used, I spent like 10 years, like doing, I still probably do too much. Um, Cause it's fun to train. I like training is that the idea is that you, you grow when you recover, stimulate, don't annihilate. There's a million ways to say it. And if you're, if you're coming into the gym and you're fresh and you got those days where you're like, man, the weights are going to get owned. Gravity is my bitch today. Yes, sir. You know, you feel like Derek Osland, El Gravito, and like there's fucking nothing's going to stop you. Yeah. That's where you want to be because then you're going to do shit you've never done before. You keep on coming back into the gym that recovered time in and time out where you just can't wait to destroy those sets. You're going to grow. And that's a relatively low volume approach and a higher frequency approach in the case of DC training um, as well that I think people um, 
aren't really as aware of. And some of it's because the training has to be really, really hard. You have to have that kind of mentality to make that work. You really do. But with fortitude, yeah, with fortitude training though, I've built it in to the system and I, and I intended this to happen and I hear it time and time again. Now when people actually do it, is they look at things on paper and if they execute the set types, the way I've set them out for their ability to train with, with high effort, the number of reps reserved, they can actually take things close to what a true failure point would be if their absolute life depended on it. You have to train hard. You just have to doing the set types that way. Yeah. So, you know, but it's all dependent on the person, you know, it's, so it's not like you're trying to get people to, people aren't, you know, being told to do something they can't do. They're just executing us the set types in a way that just demands requires that they have maximal effort levels hmm. um, or relatively high effort levels, which is, which goes beyond what they're used to doing. <clears throat> and with that, you can grow plenty well with just volume tier one or two hmm. easily. So start with that and then, and then add, you know, as needed. And chances are, I mean, look at, look, Dorian Yates, for example, of someone who had to bring things back. Hmm. The bigger he got, you know, the harder he had to train, you know, over and over. And the, and because of, you know, he's, he went from, from but, you know, t- name the, the hack squat that he might have done or a leg press or what have you those things increased so that the inroads under recovery that he was making also went up. So he had to drop things back in order to get the stimulus from a set. It had to be so crazy mm-hmm. and difficult that he, like one of my dog Suki is, you hear that? Oh no. No, she's sleeping. She, oh. she's, bar- she's whimpering I in her sleep. Yeah. yeah. She's chasing a rabbit. I bet. <laughs> it's something. Or an alligator. Yeah. I forgot you guys are in Florida. <laughs> no, she runs from those. They know better. Um, yeah, they have good. Luckily, luckily, they get away from snakes and alligators. But yeah, a rabbit, yeah, be all over that. Or a cat, without a doubt. Um, so he had to peel things back because he had to train so hard with such heavy weights that he had to do fewer of those or less of those over time in order to recover from it. So yeah. that's sort of the paradox of training versus effort that I think we may have touched upon in that previous podcast. So discussion so, on in, uh, um, experimenting with what works best for you. Does he mean though, like what exercises work best for you? Uh, can you throw up the question again? So sure. I can see? Yeah. 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 I mean, she's having a really good dream or bad dream over there. One of the two. Yeah. I think she's a good one. So cute. Um, <laughs> she sounds like a mogwai or some sort of uh she's a little gremlin she's yeah. my little brown gremlin yeah she's my mogwai i call her that all the time we also had a bunch of people oh. saying hi including nick weary joined us yeah oh sweet yeah, yeah right says, nick it's almost time brother i'm trying yeah. to uh we're hoping we'll finish up so i can i can get on and watch nick damage i got two for you we'll damage. run through them like really quick after this okay so yeah he's specifically talking about volume and intensity so the other thing that is important, you know, experimenting is like, how do you like to train? You know, do you really like to like, you know, go, go for broke and take things to their penultimate end? Is that what you, do you find some joy in that? Yeah. So there's going to be this inverse relationship. The harder you train, the less volume you'll be able to recover from. Yeah. So if you prefer, like I've got someone I just set up on a program and because he's, um, he hasn't been structured in the past, um, really at all. 
so much. We're, we're just doing what I've mentioned here before on the podcast is just taking three exercises, kind of a DC training style approach, just three exercises that are go-to exercises for each muscle group. He goes in, warms up, gets ready and tests himself one set, you know, safely to failure and rotates through each of those like an ABC format and just tries to progressively overload on that first exercise for a given muscle group. And then he trains, auto-regulates all the way through. So he can train, do more reps or more sets and, you know, leave a few more reps in the tank if he feels like he wants to. Yeah. But he's not in there like thinking, oh, Jesus, like every set, like every set to all out failure. Like this is just weighing on me. Like this is just like pulling my fingernails off. This is just terrible. Yeah. If that is in your mindset, but some progressive overload will work. So in that case, you've got the progressive overload, but you're also making sure you're appealing to what you enjoy with the training, which is getting there, getting a pump, you know, getting in your groove, getting your mojo working, what have you. So your volume is going to be dependent and your approach dependent upon what you like psychologically and what's sustainable, Hmm. but with that progressive overload. So if anything, I think most people are probably doing maybe too much in many, many cases, at least the people are listening here. Um, and, uh, and maybe not focusing enough on food either. Hmm. That's the thing. After two or three years, you know, your training, your training is still, you still got your foot on the accelerator, but you have to have gas in the tank. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can have, you know, you can be the best driver in terms of like you're formulating, you know, periodizing all of your training and you got this really nice, you know, system set up. I've got a uh, Instagram post on the, the horse and the cart and the horse is effort and the cart are all those other things related to training. Mm. You know, you have to have a well-fed horse that's pushing really hard mm. and then you can make use of how you're periodizing things in your mm. exercise order and your rest intervals and your set types and all the other kind of fun things. Yeah. But the horse has to be motivated and well-fed. And so that's a training system that you like and enough food to promote growth and then training hard enough because at some point in time, your training efforts are going to, I think my, my perspective is the training effort is going to be the penultimate limiter of growth. Mm-hmm. So if you get to where you're simply like, you're just not willing to dig into those sets where you you have to grind at a new level to get an extra rep. Your strength is just staying the same and you're not willing to progress. And that's going to be reflective too of how much you're eating and how well you're recovering. Yeah. But your effort level has to, has to keep pace with that. Yeah. And it has to be really, really high continually for years on end to produce that growth. So if that's not there, no matter what you're doing with all the other, you know, um, fapping as they make my call it, you know, you're <laughs> fapping away. If you're in the, in the UK, you're, that's all you're doing. You're just pissing in the wind to some yeah. degree. Um, if you're not training hard enough to make use of all those other, the strategies are viable. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Like finding the right exercise and all those other things, super important. But if you just find the right, I mean, imagine you just don't take anything close to failure. Well, you don't, you're not creating the stimulus. So Anyway, that hopefully that helps. So start low, make get the system that matches your your psychology, and um, you know less is more. Get the most from the least, and keep it simple. Yeah, you know that's the way I think. All right, I'll run over to these two really quick. One of them right. was about insulin. Uh, this is uh, once again this is from one of our Patreon guys. So thank you guys uh, for everybody oh, that's uh, reaching out, supporting us through Patreon. I highly appreciate it. Um, all right. 
So, oh, and we have a new Patreon person today who's uh, Bill. Bill's with us right now, actually. So shout out to Bill. What's up, William? William, Bill. He's a he's actually a, a client of mine. You'd be very proud oh, of him, Scott. Name looks familiar. Name looks familiar. To, I'll show you his progress at some point, man. He's he's okay. doing incredible. But uh, insulin question. It says, um, okay. Uh, it says, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. And he dove way back in the archives to pull this information out. He says, All I right. believe Skip was talking about Novolin R, the insulin that you can buy with no prescription from Walmart. And Dr. Scott had said it needed to be pinned IM to get the same peak as Humalog. I believe he said that pinning it sub-Q would make it slightly longer acting, approximately two to three hours. So here's his question. Um, he was wondering if taking that sub-Q prior to your workout would be a good idea. I use an intra-workout carb and then would remain and that would remain active until I had my post-workout meal. Just wanted to know Scott's thoughts. Um, or he said, or I might be possibly misunderstanding. He said, uh, actually, I don't you really use insulin. I just had this thought and wondered if my logic was correct. Okay, so first of all, I gotta say, um, insulin can kill you. People say, Oh, no one ever dies from insulin. I just I know that of people who have died from insulin. Um, like a good friend of a very good friend, the guy literally died in his kitchen. Oh, he had, yeah, literally he got home and he just, he had the insulin in his system. And he just like the food was everywhere. So I'm not going to suggest anyone do. And I have a, like when I do my talk on bodybuilding pharmaco pharmacology, I like a big like flashing thing on the slide. This is warning side effect death or something like that. Yeah. Um, Cause it, you know, it can do It's like, you know, it's, it doesn't, doesn't, you can, you can inject massive amounts of insulin and people can survive, get past that, but that's not everybody. So, so I'm not going to suggest anyone do it beforehand, but here, here's the thing that's interesting about insulin. And this is part of what I have in that, in that slide, in that talk, um, is that the, um, uh, uh, the glycemic effects of insulin and the pharmacokinetics of insulin. So the time to peak, the area under the curve, that kind of that kind of jazz, varies as a function of blood flow. It varies as a function of being intramuscular or subcutaneous, and it varies as a function of actually the, the muscle if you inject in uh, it, or area of the body. So if you inject over the deltoid versus in the the uh, adipose in the abdominal region, you get a different. Basically, it's basically as much as much of a difference that you'd see between regular insulin, so humulin R, novolin R, and like a novolog. Um, a fast, super fast acting. So then that's just a function of blood flow. So the study that he's thinking of, and this is one that I, you know, Ken asked me about a um, long time ago. It didn't, it wasn't looking at insulin peak. Um, I'm not sure, I can't remember if it, I don't think there are any differences there per se. Maybe it wasn't even measured, but they measured the effect on glycemia. So on blood glucose. And it found that if you, Comparing Humalog or Lizpro, I think is what, what they use, which is the same thing, I believe. So it's another fast acting. It may actually not be the same thing. Maybe not. Because um, there's different formulations. They're all patented. Uh, comparing that with regular insulin, so like a Humulin R, if you took the regular insulin and injected that intramuscularly, um, it gave you the same effect on glycemia, so blood glucose, which is reflective, of course, of what the insulin rate of insulin um, release into the bloodstream. 
you got the same effect doing humulin R, nobilin R into the muscle versus subcutaneous, the standard route of administration for that fast acting insulin. Hmm. So, and that's just, that's basically because, so the most obvious reason for that is that the blood flow in skeletal muscles higher than the blood flow in your adipose tissue found subcutaneously. Yeah. So you do the injection and it's, it's different than um, an intramuscular steroid preparation where you have testosterone enanthate and the enanthate there is a, just a fatty acid hanging off the, the side of the, the, um, the testosterone molecule and it's lipophilic. It keeps it in that depot, hmm. keeps it there and you have a slow release over days where the insulin is different. It's going into the tissue and it's being released but much more rapidly. And it's a function of how fast it's kind of like, um, imagine like a slow moving Creek versus a pretty rapidly moving Creek. Yeah. And if you took like a big bucket of dye and kind of put it into the side of the Creek, if the Creek were just, you know, flooding through and, and washing in the way that dye would be carried off really, really rapidly. If it were very slow moving Creek and the water was just barely kind of chugging along, you'd see that dye. They stay there for quite a while. Sure. The dye representing the insulin, of course. So when there's more blood flow to a tissue um, to pick up the insulin carried away, the faster the rise of insulin, the greater the impact on your blood glucose levels. So that is a major, a major issue or a major um, factor that determines the pharmacokinetics of insulin is the local area. So um, and probably the thickness of the skin fold, the, thick, the skin fold on your delt, thin compared to the you know thickness on, on most people's abdom, abdominal, abdominal area, yeah. thicker. Um, temperature makes a difference. So it's, if it's hot outside hmm. and you've got more skin blood flow and you maybe have a kind of a shallow shot, um, skin blood flow increases to thermoregulate. So if you were to inject, you really kind of get into the dermis where the skin blood flow is and don't get so much into the fat, or maybe just some of it's there, or maybe you hit a, va- a vein too, Ooh, yeah. you know, that's possible as well. That can get it. Basically, you've got an IV shot then. Yeah, um, that can happen. So those sort of um, temperature-related effects, and then if you're someone and he's talking about doing a like a pre-workout insulin, you inject into a muscle you're about to train, you're increasing the blood flow of that muscle, you know, manyfold. Yeah. So you'll get a really fast insulin effect. Hmm. And the thing is, I mean, the reason why, you know there's all sorts of different thoughts on, and some people are using, you know, long acting insulin, just they want to be hyperinsulinemic all the time, you know, for the advantages that would have on protein metabolism. Um, and then others, and this is an approach that seems to make more sense because I've seen it work is they use a fast acting insulin and get the impact because the impact of insulin um, will, will persist for hours after the insulin levels have come back down. So there's mm-hmm. a persistent lingering effect on cellular metabolism hmm. of the insulin, given what it's, it's doing inside the cells after it's bound to its receptor, all that kind of stuff. So you use a faster acting insulin, um, time that in a nutrient timing type of fashion. And you're getting it anyway, when you take in carbs and protein, you're getting a big insulin burst. If you do like, if you're part of the cereal gains nation, mm-hmm. then, you know, you're, you're basically taking advantage of the endogenous insulin to have this sort of pharmacological action of, you know, massive release with all the carbs and protein coming in. Yeah. But you do that, you blast it when, when you've got the greatest volatility in the muscle, it's rate of protein synthesis turned on the most. You use it to block the protein synthesis. You use it then it's effective, you know, in the blood for a while, 
That's going to be the main glycemic effects. It's effective in the cells for a few hours thereafter. And then it's, in and out of your, it's basically not working anymore for, you know, until you use it the next time you might train or maybe use it only three times a week. Hmm. So you're only under the influence of that exogenous insulin, so to speak, the metabolic influence, not the psychological influence um, for, uh, you know, let's say 24 hours out of a week if you okay. do three shots, something like that. Okay. So you, re you retain your insulin sensitivity, which seems to be really important. And I know, I know Dave has talked about, Dave Crossland took his insulin up over 100 IUs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Jordan's talked about doing that. I just talked to someone the other day. It was over 100 IUs. And the, the, theme, the picture that keeps on getting painted is that um, uh, when people are using it constantly and so much, they, they get to, I don't know, kind of guesstimate it varies, you know, by individuals. But once you get to, like, you're using above 20 or 30 IUs, then the rest of it is you've already reached sort of your 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 um your maximal response. You're hmm. kind of sealing it out there. You can get something maybe more a little bit, but you know, once you're at 100 IUs, your insulin sensitivity shot. Like you're yeah. like that's a lot, you know. Yeah. So people can get really good effects by by do, doing a timing approach with a short acting insulin, and then doing it you know intra workout in that way, hmm. um, the way he's talking about. And that's why Milos would have people do that. You're literally, you know, starting your recovery process during your workout because the insulin is there, blah, blah, blah. That's all the nutrient timing because I've talked about a good bit. And you're keeping insulin sensitivity high. So I still, um, the thing that's, a, that's scary about doing an intra-workout is that um, take a scenario where, you know, someone's been, you know, using subcutaneous, and, you know, they, they train abs at the end. They don't do anything. I mean, just wearing a belt could impact. If you put a belt over where you put the insulin shot in, you literally would squeeze the insulin away from the injection site. Yeah, that's That'll true. change it. So you can get in there and start training and impact things um, tremendously in terms of what the insulin's doing. Yeah. Um, the insulin's action, if you've ejected into a muscle that you start to train shortly thereafter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the fastest way to make it happen. Um, so um, if you're not careful, you're asking for hypoglycemia. Yeah. And, and it can I, happen really, really rapidly. I think, too, for anybody who has experimented with insulin, uh, intra-workout, there's no question. You, you know, Like, even if you have everything timed up perfectly, even if you have your pre-workout carbs and you're using an intra-workout shake, you will still have episodes. Like, it's never anybody who's done it. I don't know anybody who hasn't at least had minor episodes here and there. It's, it's not perfect. Even when you have everything nailed down. Yeah. So, so yeah, hopefully that answers this question. There's that one study just showing that, you know, the differences in site location, sub Q or, or site tissue into which the insulin was injected, probably a function of blood flow, but temperature, and um, activity of the tissue, so exercise or non, could both make a difference. Exercise just in general because the heat's going to increase blood flow to the skin and the muscle, you know, that effect, and, of course, much more so to the muscle. So that's that particular study, and, you know, it's, um, it's worth knowing because you can't just like, eh, like growth hormone, from what I've seen, you inject growth hormone into the skin or into the muscle, you get a pretty, like some, there's some difference. It probably depends on the growth hormone formulation, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of interesting, but it's pretty close. 
Um, but those are all at rest. I haven't seen, you know, what happens if you inject in the muscle and go exercise. I would imagine you, you change the area of the curve or the shape of the curve of the insulin elevation pretty substantially. I would have to think if so. you, uh, if you do that, but I haven't seen those data, you know, so that's me just kind of speculating. All right. We got one more here. Um, Okay, so I know you didn't have an answer for this, but I, I because you wanted more information. But I thought I thought it All would right. be interesting to just know what more information you would want. I thought that that in itself would help us understand some stuff. He says, right. "I recently got my blood work back. Uh, my blood viscosity was in high normal range, but my iron level was very low." He says, "The normal range of iron is eleven to thirty-one, and my iron was five. I'm in off-season running high test." GH and insulin. My question is, should I be concerned about how low, about uh, low iron levels and try to get them higher? Or is it not a big deal to have low iron levels? Uh, other minerals I tested were all in range. Thank you so much for your answer. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is something you want to look into a little more deeply. F ferritin is a better measure kind of your standard measure for iron status in the body and um so iron levels iron absorption can be affected by a lot of things the first thing that popped in my head is he's he's paying attention to these things he maybe he's using some sort of an iron chelator like ip6 mm. so that he's trying to reduce the the iron that he takes up and thus you know um, limit the erythropoiesis and the elevation of fatacrit that can come from from using gear so that might be something he's been doing, and that would that may be effective. Maybe it's working for him. I pulled up a list here. that's um, just uh, food supplements and medications that interfere with iron absorption, and calcium and dairy products, tannins, phytates. So you get that you get phytates actually in green tea, soy protein, high fiber foods, eggs, caffeine. <laughs> um, supplements are calcium supplements, of course, zinc, copper. Herbal supplements that can, contain tannins, so black cohosh, chamomile, feverfew, nettle, plantain, salt, palmetto, St. John's wort, and valerian. So if you're taking valerian to help you sleep, that could be part of this. Drugs would include antacids, NSAIDs, amygdalin, digoxin, a whole synthroid. Hmm. So there's a bunch of things here that could be involved there. So that's um, – sorry, let me get back to the picture. I can see you, Scott. There you are. So – that is a potential explanation as to why his iron could be low. But to really to see if he's got an iron status issue, ferritin would be the measurement he'd want to look at. Okay. So it's good that his hematocrit's cool. Yeah. Um, but, but those are the things to kind of pay attention to. So I mean, just as a general thought here, um, Google is your friend, I guess it's kind of the easiest way. So you literally can type, if the question you have is like, what does it mean when my iron levels are low? You can type that into Google. That'll mm. pop up as a question, probably exactly that. Um, and you, and you look to that and it, you're going to find various resources, Medscape or what have you, that will tell you, you know, point to iron tells you this ferritin is a, is a, a storage form of iron. That's more representative, blah, blah, blah. So you can dig into those things and get some of those answers too. Mm. Um, and I'm not shaming anybody, but that's it's one of the things I think sometimes is that um, there's a little bit of reticence because you're like, oh shit, there's this mountain of medical information that I, you know, I have no idea about. And um, but just like knowing that iron is representative of iron in the body in some way, shape, or form, 
you can find with like literally a one-step process that ferritin is important too and dig in and probably you could probably know you wouldn't know a lot more than i do about iron status in a matter of just reading for like a like an hour i would imagine i can tell you this i was interested to see uh my lab work after having done phlebotomy once a month mm. for about four about five months i think it was my ferritin level was low uh as a result of that Mm. And I asked my doctor, my, my hematologist, I said, you know, should I be concerned about this? And he was like, well, we don't want it to always be low all the time. But his thoughts were it was good that we had gotten it low because that's what would trigger the bone marrow to produce more hematocrit. Uh, he said, so yeah. having that under control basically broke the cycle of having high hematocrit. So we didn't only get rid of the blood, we got rid of what what was the reason for increasing the thickness of the blood? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're limiting the iron of air availability for erythropoiesis. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you're, you're knowingly like, you know, saying, okay, we're going to keep the iron down. Um, you know, and, uh, um, for that reason, you're going to limit the, so you're, it's the trade off and you're right. You don't want to have, you know, chronically low ferritin levels, but with what you've got going on, the main issue with low ferritin levels is going to be that you're going to have, um, be anemic, right? You know, and that's not the issue, you know. So that's the main concern. So you kind of kind of understand, like, ah, oh, ferritin's there as an important marker of iron status, and iron is very, very important for hemoglobin and red blood cells and and all those sorts of things. So you're so, not anemic; you don't have a problem. So it's kind of it's not totally okay, yeah, because you know it's not where you want to be, but it's it's actually what you intended. So if this guy is running a cycle right now, he said he's on high test, high growth in insulin. Uh, and, and I had spoke to him before he actually has, um, uh, access to, uh, like pharmaceutical IGF as well. So he's, this guy's wow. going all out. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. I believe in Prague. Um, he said, uh-huh. uh, you know, so with all this going on, having like low ferritin, low iron, it might not be a bad thing for him if that's where he's at. If he is say trying to chelate some of the iron out. That might not be a bad thing for him because right. it might it might mean that he's able to keep his somatocrit from going sky high. Yeah, I mean, you want to see how far out of range it is. Yeah, okay. You know, and of course, track things. You know, so some people we have a perfect example with Tanya. Her yeah, blood okay. glucose always runs really, really low. So some people will be outside of the normal range. That's just you know, how some folks are with various things. So. Um, and he might check like that list. You can, you know, Google the, that same list that I, I just Googled that, you know, just to, to get a, a further, a greater list of things that can interfere with iron absorption. He might be intentionally trying to limit iron, um, or he might be inadvertently or unknowingly at least taking in uh, supplements that have been helping him keep his hematocrit lower by limiting iron absorption. So, you know, if he's taking in like extra calcium or drinking a bunch of dairy because, you know, he's doing the go mad diet on a milk a day with calcium fortified, you know, um, milk yeah. that could be impacting this. So there may, could be a bunch of things. And if his ferritin is like super duper low, you know, then that's something to think about. Yeah. see the book coming out. The book is coming <laughs> out because we got to get you out of here. Yeah. You've got 20 minutes. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah. Gotta, check out Nick. Go. But definitely guys, you can go to Amazon and check out this book with, uh, uh, Scott Thirst Trap Stevenson uh, right. on the cover here. Be your own bodybuilding yep. coach. Um, and of course, we talked about fortitude training too. So you guys can check that plan out. It's like 20 bucks. So just freaking buy it today. Plus, yeah. you know, you're supporting Scott. And you can support our programming by shopping with truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Uh, Scott, I, uh, adds, I, I will echo Nick's sentiment from earlier. 
He said, uh, Scott is generous with his time. And I appreciate ah. everything you do to help educate me and educate all of us here because, uh, you, you know, you, your, your wealth of information, uh, I think is, and I don't think, I know it's helping a lot of people, including myself. My training has been uh, changed forever, for better or worse, because of you. <laughs> yes. An indelible impact. Yes. Well, enjoy yeah. uh, your 4th of July. I, I wish Nick yeah. the best of luck today. Yes. Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition, you can get, you can watch it for free with the trial on. I can't remember what it is. I'm going to sign up right now so I can watch. So, Oh, you're not actually the going there. You're, you're going to watch it. on. Oh, the, okay. No. Oh, man, I wish. It's in New York. Oh, well, yeah, God. Okay. I thought it was yeah. down there in Florida or something. Co my bad. Coney Island. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I watched his trial run. I mean, those guys are just, it's just crazy. It's we got to get him on the show. Better. We got to get him. On I would the show. love to love to have him on. Yeah. Cause Let's it's, do it. he's a, he's a bodybuilder. He'll, you'll see. He's like, well, I think they have to wear shirts. You can't, he's not in a tank top, but yeah, he's a high level bodybuilder has been for years. And what he learned in bodybuilding, he carries over. It's just part of it, just his mindset. But um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool, cool um, connection there between the two pursuits. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, yeah, for another great. episode of Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson, I'm Scott McNally. Thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you. We'll see you soon. Adios.